0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is episode 12 of the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast. I'm Brian Beasley, and with me is Dan Alberth, our resident insurance expert. (laughs) Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Normal housekeeping. This podcast and all episodes of this podcast are for information and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be deemed investment or financial advice unique to you. For that, you
1: need to contact a properly registered professional. In 1965, a young couple got married. They had three daughters. They lived in the city, and in the early 70s, they moved into a starter house. Husband was the breadwinner, had a great job. They were crushing it, had life life in their hands in the palm of their hands and in 1978 as they were saving money to move out of that starter house husband went up in the fall to clean out the gutters he fell off the ladder hit his head on the concrete driveway and went into a coma for two weeks he then died 45 years later and That widow, she's still living in that starter house. There was no life insurance. There was no plan.
0: That's a tragedy on top of a tragedy. It's a tragedy when somebody dies early. It's more of a tragedy when they die early. And on top of all the grief, you've got to deal with a financial nightmare. Now, flip side of that coin major breadwinner for the household passes away in a crash or an accident also with kids and had done his planning had enough life insurance in fact had you know enough life insurance to make life bearable then it's just the grief and there's definitely a life changes but you just don't want to have that grief piled on by a significant amount of financial stress. And I and you and I, you know, I've dealt with this many times throughout our careers. Um, we see it more often than the average person where somebody passes away or passes away early. And it's, it is a tragedy every single time. It's awful. But I can tell you early in that process, after the person passes away, one of the common questions we get as advisors is from family members who are caring about the, the family left behind is, was there enough life insurance? Is there going to be enough? Are they going to be okay financially? And I can tell you, it's a much greater feeling to be able to say they're going to be fine than I don't know. It's a horrible feeling. So obviously, if somebody has a family If they have people depending on their income for their livelihood, for their future, for their retirement, for their college education, for their wedding, if your income is depended on, you definitely, definitely, definitely need to be looking into, do you have the right insurance, life insurance plan to cover that risk? It's a risk. It's a real risk. Is it probable? Absolutely not for most people who are healthy. It's not probable. But the impact is so gigantic that it bears investigation. You need to get into that process. And that's what we're talking about today. So, first step is... Do I need life insurance? And we've answered that, right? Yeah. You know, it's, Absolutely, we need life insurance
1: if that's the case. Am I the sole breadwinner of the family? That's one. Absolutely. Who else might need life insurance? If the family has two breadwinners, if both parents are working, do they need life insurance? Yes. If there are kids or parents that are dependents, you need to explore it. Got it. If you have specific goals in mind that you want something to uh, to happen at your passing, then yes, life insurance can take care of that. If you have a loan, for example, and at your passing, you want to pay off that loan, a mortgage. You have a $200,000 mortgage. You want to pay that off at your passing. That's a goal. Life insurance can fill that bill. Also taking a look at what you, your desires. We've talked about in, in the past episodes about knowing yourself and understanding who you are and what you're trying to accomplish in life. Right. Taking time to identify those things that you want to accomplish if something were to happen. If you can quantify those things, it will help you determine if you need life insurance. Some examples, do I want my spouse to have to work if I pass away? That's a yes or no question, and it's different for everybody, but asking the question and having that conversation helps you to create a plan that's going to take care of your family and accomplish the goals that you want. How much do I need? There are online calculators all over the place, Brian. You and I both know that folks can go online and take a look at all kinds of calculation engines to figure out how much life insurance they need. Oftentimes, people underestimate how much they need. When you look at it from one aspect. I want to talk about specific goals. You go through your process of getting to know yourself and listing out all the goals that you want to accomplish, and you're able to identify what's the cost of each of those goals. A young family starting out, they have, they have two kids. They want their kids to go to college. They've identified the cost of the college, $25,000 a year, four years of college. That's $100,000, they've identified that amount. And if something were to happen, life insurance can step in and take care of that. But that's a need that kind of goes away. Correct. Eventually, you don't have mm-hmm.
0: that need anymore.
1: Right. Uh, so looking at your various goals, another way to determine if how much life insurance you need is to take a look at the breadwinner as a money-making machine so husband and wife are both making money and something happens to one of them how do you recreate that income that that person has earns earns
0: and 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 this is this is an important point because it actually is their income it's not the the expenses of the household because that person's income was also contributing to retirement planning and making contributions to other investments and things like that that were going to set the stage for the future. Um, a lot of people just kind of underestimate, you know, how many they do, how many years to retirement of just the household expenses.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And oh, I mean, it, it's it's not it's not that common, but we have seen people do this. And you and you just ask, okay, what happens then at sixty five? Yeah, and that's what you hear. You hear crickets. On the other side, you don't hear anything because people go, like, oh, wait, I didn't think of that. Well, it's, I,
1: it's the whole income of the breadwinner. I have enough insurance to pay off my mortgage. So that's enough life insurance. I can pay off the mortgage. If, if I pass away, my wife will have enough money to pay off the mortgage.
0: And then what about health insurance? And then what about food? Yeah. And then what about inflation? And the car that needs to get replaced every so many years. And, and, and. It's a little bit more involved math than that,
1: but it's it's impossible to do it. Yes, it is. One way to do it, you're, take your income and try to figure out how much of a pile of money do you need to recreate your annual income. A simple example, you have the breadwinning spouse earning $100,000 per year. If you take a $2 million chunk of money and you can invest it at five percent that creates a hundred thousand dollars of income a year in this example this person would need two million dollars of life insurance to take care of their family to recreate that person's income
0: right and it and, and that's that's a very simplified example but that gives you kind of a clue about how big it could be I mean what what rates of return are people getting now on On investments safely I mean we're seeing right now in 2020 estimates that are looking in the low single digits even for diversified portfolios in terms of the expectations yes the trailing returns on some things have been very very good the last few years but even if you had average returns on stocks and bonds you're not looking at getting much more than you know five six percent even in average times with great interest rates on bonds and, and great returns on stocks so maybe that math does need to be a little bit bigger. Um, it, just, it just bears bears repeating. People need to do the math to find out exactly how much they need. It's not a simple rule of thumb necessarily, but it, just to give you a ballpark figure, what your example, $2 million generating 5%, that leaves an estate of $2 million also. I mean, yes. Some people may say, well, I want it to run out the day I day Okay, well, you can do that math. And you can it's just come more complicated math and maybe you need a little less, but it's not going to be all of a sudden you only needed a hundred thousand dollars of insurance. It's still going to be a significant amount of money to replace that kind of earnings. Now, granted, if somebody's 62 and they're about to retire and they've already built up enough pile where they could retire tomorrow without an issue, their need for insurance is probably a lot less, but that person who's like the example you gave person in their thirties still has a long time to earn. They have a greater need. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's
1: just worth watching and worth, worth doing the math on that. Episode four, the Know Yourself episode, go back. There are some good questions to help folks get a feel for what to ask, how to, how to determine what they need and their own goals. What are some types of insurance that might people might be looking at when they're going through this process? Well, with life insurance, you have two basic types. You have term insurance and you have permanent insurance. Term insurance has a defined period where you're having coverage. If you have a 10-year term insurance policy, you buy the insurance and you're renting it for 10 years. After 10 years, the insurance is gone. And your money, if you've survived those 10 years, you've paid the premiums to the insurance company and you move on. The term is temporary. It's temporary. It could be one year, it could be 20 years, it could be 30 years, but it doesn't last forever. Correct. Got it. There's another aspect to term. It's called return of premium term insurance. It generally has a higher premium, annual premium, so it's more expensive the benefit of that type of insurance is after the period of time, most people say, hey, I don't want to buy term insurance because I'm going to live more than 20 years. What do I do? The solution is a return of premium term insurance. I know I need insurance for 20 years. After the 20 years, I get my premiums back or a portion of my premiums back. That requires a higher premium. There are different types of term insurances. On the other side of things, you have permanent insurance. Permanent insurance is for, uh, you want to make sure you have life insurance until the day you die. It's not a 20-year need. It could be 30 or 40 years. Or you have specific goals that don't run out. I, For example, I know I want to provide an inheritance to my kids or my grandkids of X amount of dollars. It doesn't matter when I die.
0: Even if you live to 110, it's there.
1: That's permanent. That's a permanent insurance. Got it. You pass away, that death benefit pays out and pays out the inheritance to those kids. There are all kinds of life insurance policies. When you look at a life insurance, a permanent life insurance policy specifically, There's all kinds of names for them, but it's basically how is the cash value in that policy invested. You have whole life. You have universal life. You have variable universal life. You have indexed universal life. All of these different types of permanent life insurance policies are out there. The real factor between all of those different policies is how is that cash value component invested.
0: Got it. So who's, who's taking on the investment risk of the cash value component. So with these permanent policies, you've got two piles that you're looking at. Potentially, you've got the death benefit that pays out to the beneficiaries when the person passes away. And then there's a pile of cash that's that's, that's adding up over time that you have access to while you're alive. And you can potentially take a loan from that, or you can withdraw that. And that's that or you can have that pay the premium. You have a lot of flexibility with what you do with that. But the key differentiator, what you're saying is between whole, indexed, universal, variable, variable, universal, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. This is where everybody gets confused. It's just how the investment, how the cash value is being invested and who's taking on the risk. Yes.
1: That's the only difference. Let me run through them real quick if I can. Okay. Whole life insurance is one of the oldest types of, insurance policies and whole life the insurance company is investing the money and they're determining how much is uh they're basically guaranteeing what you're going to get in that cash value right there's a cash value component that is guaranteed yes anything else beyond that is uh, credited based on how their general account has done if they're A general account does very well. You're going to get, they're called dividends, and those dividends are going to be credited to your policy. What's a general account? general account, excellent question. The insurance company has thousands of insurance clients, thousands of policy owners. Those policy owners are paying premiums. They're paying for their life insurance, and all those premiums are going to the insurance company. The insurance company invests those monies in very long-term investments, and they have in this giant portfolio that they manage. As that portfolio grows, and de- ter- depending on the success of that insurance company in their ability to manage that money, that will determine how much money gets credited to your policy. The insurance company is taking on the investment risk with that. Another type of policy is universal life insurance. Universal life insurance is a policy where the insurance company credits an interest rate to you. You buy the insurance policy. The insurance company says, based on the environment, we're going to credit your money 5%. Then they make that credit and to your policy, and that's how your cash value grows. Okay. The insurance company is still taking on the investment risk. With a variable universal life policy, that's where the policy owner takes on the investment risk. The policy owner decides how to invest that cash value. It's similar to a 401k plan, whereas a 401k plan has multiple investment options to choose from. Just like that, a variable universal life policy has multiple 10, 20, sometimes 100 different investment options that they can choose from and decide how to invest the money. And so that policy owner has an ability to make a lot of money, like in the market, but they're the ones taking on the investment risk, not the insurance company. Now,
0: the insurance still stays in place even if the investments do poorly. It's just that the cash value
1: could just be horrible. Correct. Insurance policies have expenses and those expenses need to be paid every month. Does the
0: premium pay all those expenses typically?
1: No, the expenses come out of the cash value. When you look oh, okay. at when you look at a universal life policy or a variable universal life policy, they're much they're very transparent in that you can see the expenses and you can see the money that's being credited in a, on your statements. Think of a barrel, if you will. With on top, you have two spigots pouring water into this barrel. Two spigots. One spigot is your insurance premiums that you pay in every, every year or every month. So you're paying in the money. That's one spigot. The other spigot is the earnings that your cash value is growing. Those two spigots are filling up your bucket with water. As that water level increases, that's your cash value going up. Now, you also have to imagine that at the bottom of that bucket, there are holes. And those holes represent the different expenses coming out of the life insurance policy. Okay. You have all kinds of expenses, cost of insurances. Those expenses come out regardless. If you turn off your premiums, the level of water may start going down in that bucket because those expenses continue to come out. And uh,
0: then it's critical that the cash value has a great return on the investments inside. It sounds like, I guess, backing up, that you mentioned when you were talking about whole life, mm-hmm. there's another component, it sounds like, that's going on, if I recall. Whole life the insurance companies taking on the the investment risk on the cash value side, but they also guarantee your premium stays the same for the duration of the insurance. That's a huge guarantee. Whereas these, these complicated things with the barrel and the spigots and the cash value, and you're taking on investment risk on you, those, those premiums may be less to start with because you're taking on the investment
1: risk, but they're flexible. I the, the way to say it is you have flexibility with these products. With, in the premium.
0: Yeah. But and that's like
1: the universal life, variable universal life. But to
0: your point about the spigots on top, mm-hmm. if if you're doing really poorly with your investment choices on that variable universal, then you're actually reducing that spigot on top of that barrel and it relies totally now on the premiums. Yes. And the policy may have been designed to assuming a certain rate of return on the cash value if the cash value is not doing that great it's absolutely possible that that, that premium the pol- could go up if you want to keep it in place right yes
1: yes the cash value gets down so low, additional premiums might be needed your your premium might be increasing and you may find out where that policy lapses and when it lapses that means the the death benefit goes away and the contract is done
0: so that's something like a variable universal yes okay
1: Newer insurance policies that have come out, there are these things called indexed universal life policies. And it's a universal life policy, so that implies that it's very transparent. Indexed, that implies that you have the ability, the cash value is invested in different indexes, depending on how well that index does. Like performs. a stock market index, for example. The S&P like, 500, for it. example. Based on how that S&P 500 index has done for the last year will determine how much money is credited into your policy. And some of these policies, there's, they take away the downside risk, meaning if the S&P 500, which is your index, some of these policies say, hey, if the index 500 is down, is negative for that year, your returns are zero. But if the return is positive for your index, you participate in that growth. Do you typically get the whole upside with none of the downside? There's got to be a catch there. Well, it's, there are all kinds of policies. So some of them, there's a cap at the top where you may only participate up to 10%. So if the market does 30% that year, you get 10%. You got 10 Got it. Others are a percentage. For instance, they, you might participate 50% of whatever the market does. So if you got a 30%, you got 15. Yes, you're credited 15%. Got it. There are these other insurance policies that are permanent. They're called guaranteed universal life. And what the insurance company has done is try to keep the premiums as low as possible because to focus very specifically on the death benefit. They've designed the policies to not have any cash value or very, very little cash value. And these are called Guaranteed Universal Life. And it's essentially a lifetime term insurance policy. Got it. So so each of these has its place as a
0: potential tool to fit a specific need. Not that everybody needs variable universal or guaranteed universal or indexed universal or term. It's just based
1: on the need. These are just tools. Yes. Yes. Tools in a toolbox. Pick the one that makes most sense for you based right. on your goals and your objectives.
0: And we've seen families that have a need for different kinds. You know, temporary needs are handled with certain kinds of insurance, other needs are handled with a different policy, and so forth.
1: Right. Multiple comp all kinds of companies, all kinds of policies. Here are a few features, or they're called quote, riders, end quote. That these are extra features that you can put onto. So they're optional and they would ride on top of the base policy that Mm -hmm. people are buying. Here are some common ones. Waiver of premium rider is a common benefit to add on to your policy. If you become disabled, the premiums are going to pay out. That's one. Another is called a guaranteed insurance purchase option. This is the type of a benefit that you might get for a young child, a young person who's just starting out. They may not only be able to purchase $50,000, for example, right now, but it gives them the ability to buy additional insurance later on every four years from age 21 to age 40. Now you might ask, well, why would I want to do something like that? The reason to have that type of a feature is you're doing it to protect your insurability, Brian. If you have, your family has a lot of asthma, I have asthma in my family history. And if, if it's really bad, and if I'm concerned that my child may develop asthma or have some other bad things where they might no longer be insurable or life insurance might become very, very expensive for them, mm-hmm. they can buy this, add this rider on, when they're young, when they're healthy. And then as they purchase those, make those additional purchases in the future years, they're able to buy it at your originally issued underwriting class. I'm using some so, terminology. So what that means is,
0: what I'm hearing is, is that you're guaranteed you can buy more insurance in the future regardless of your health. Yes, does the premium go up as you get older or is it kind of a guaranteed at that age, you'll be able to buy it at at X price. How
1: do they do that? It goes up in that based on your age. If you're buying the, if you, your original policy was bought when you were 20 years old, Mm -hmm. the cost of the insurance was based on a 20 year old. When you're 30 years old and you have the option to buy more, you're buying it as if you're a 30 year old person was as healthy as you were when you were 20. Thank you. Yes. Got it. Yes. Another really innovative feature that's worth mentioning is a long-term care rider. In episode 10, Bri, we talked about the long-term care need and that conversation. One of the innovations with the insurance companies is this long-term care rider. It actually allows you to tap into your death benefit while you're still alive. If you have a million-dollar death benefit, life insurance policy with a million-dollar death benefit, you have a long-term care need, you can actually start drawing from that death benefit.
0: And we've seen that with some of our clients where... They have some life insurance that's older life insurance. They're questioning whether they want the life insurance or not, but then they're also dealing with the long-term care need. And in a lot of cases, I've seen you use a life insurance with this rider to solve that problem with a hybrid solution because it's sometimes it's the most efficient way to handle the, the system, the the, the needs risks. And yes. the risks. Um, it, it can be more cost effective. Sometimes there's a simplicity issue there um, as opposed to just getting two different policies, one life and one long-term care.
1: Let's talk about some other uses of life insurance. Initially, we've been talking about the families needing it to take care of loved ones. Business planning, there are many needs for life insurance. There are these things called key person insurance. Key person insurance for business owners, if you have a small business and you only have a few people working in that business, and one person is the expert, the expert engineer, it's an an engineering firm. They have all the patents. They're the key And they have all the knowledge. That person, Mm -hmm. if they pass away, all that knowledge goes away with them the business in order for them to survive. They might put a key person insurance in place. The death benefit pays out. They can use that death benefit to go out and hire somebody else who has that experience or give the company time to grow the knowledge and to figure out how to pivot and move forward. You
0: see this with startup firms, you see this with high growth companies, you even see this with, unfortunately. I mean, ideally you don't want to have a business that's that precarious, you know, where one person can really damage the company, but it happens. It can happen if you have a really small business, that's a service business. I mean, even our business, there's not a lot of people here, right? Small small organization, but you could also have it in a you see it sometimes in a publicly traded company where you have this figurehead founder that's the front-facing person for the whole company. They're the visionary, and they're still driving the growth of that, that company, even though they may be public already, even though there may be executives in place and managers and things like that. That leadership capability makes that person a key, key individual. And unless you can get that leadership skill pushed down where your top five or 10 people know your top five initiatives and, and have that drive that the founder
1: has, there could be a huge need mm-hmm. for that level of insurance. There are things called buy-sell agreements for smaller businesses. Buy-sell agreement. Let's take a look at a, a two-person firm. You have a small business. Like an owners. accounting firm, for yeah. example. Okay. You have two owners, they each own 50% of the company, and they have a buy-sell agreement in place, which means that when one person wants to retire or leave the business, the other person can buy out Mm -hmm. that person and continue the business. If somebody were to pass away, if one of those two partners were to pass away, that business goes to the surviving spouse. You might have find yourself a situation where you, as an original business owner, is now in business with the widow of your former partner who just passed away. In order to deal with that situation, life insurance can be used to create that liquidity to buy the shares, buy the ownership away from the widow, so she is not and she's not going to be a
0: CPA. I'm sure she's not she may not be interested in being a co-owner of a CPA firm and having to deal with that especially not being a CPA mm-hmm. in that example a buy sell agreement funded by the life insurance
1: just solves that issue. Yes. You know. Got it. There are definitely uses for life insurance in a business setting. When you look at estate liquidity as another benefit or another use for life insurance. Somebody passes away, there may be a need for cash 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 on hand you may have an ultra wealthy individual or an ultra wealthy family when they pass away there could be an estate tax due to the, the federal government has the estate taxes if you're ultra wealthy that estate tax needs to be paid in cash in cash quickly and it's it's it is quickly it's within
0: it's it's in within the year right yes of and and there's both the state level in some cases there's there's those cat uh taxes you hear about uh celebrities that pass away without any planning of any kind and it's just a nightmare and the reason it's a nightmare is because they didn't have an insurance in place to pay taxes they didn't there's the arguing over who was entitled to what and that's a whole nother discussion but having that insurance just makes everything quick and easy if you if i can imagine if somebody has uh if they're an ultra wealthy person and they have all that that tax due Their wealth might be tied up in things that aren't liquid, that can't be converted to cash very quickly. It could be real estate. It could be businesses. It could be royalties rights. Mm -hmm. It could be mineral rights. It could be things that just don't trade very easily like stocks, bonds, and, and, and mutual funds do.
1: Yeah. And it's not just the ultra wealthy. Even someone of more modest means, their net worth might be a house, a plot of land, and some collectibles that might have some value. And now you have uh, someone passes away with that type of a situation. There are four kids, and those four kids are supposed to get compensated, or the legacy is for all four of them to to have equal share. Mm -hmm. If there's a house there, there's no immediate liquidity. They would either have to have a fire sale on that house and sell it as fast as they can, you going to get a lower
0: price if you do that.
1: Yeah. Same thing if you had a really valuable set of collectibles,
0: you know, no, uh, sports cards, um, precious metals, you know, coin collections that actually have some precious metal value to them, all those kinds of things. Even, even like you said, the home, the market could be wrong at that point in time. And if you have that liquidity, It just buys time for the family to sell those things over the course of time when it makes sense and when you can get best
1: pricing. It's just flexibility. The other benefit or the other use of life insurance, the goal of that is to create that cash value and to be able to access that cash value to create income for you in the future. Life insurance is not a qualified retirement plan, but that cash value can be used to create income to help offset or supplement future income needs
0: when you say qualified retirement plan that's the government's definition of retirement plan like things like 401k
1: 403b ira right all of these various plans a life insurance policy is a vehicle that does grow cash value and there are tax benefits the cash value grows tax deferred you have the ability to transfer between sub-accounts, looking at a variable universal life, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. If you're investing money and moving it throughout the years from one investment to the other, there's no capital gains taxes that you have to pay if you're selling those shares at a gain. There's potential tax-free income, so when you start taking the income, you can pull it out tax-free if you're doing it correctly. And then if there's a death benefit, that death benefit's tax-free. Bottom line, many different tax benefits with life insurance.
0: And it makes it sound very tempting and it makes it, makes it very um, interesting when people, and this is one of those things when you're specifically this idea of using life insurance to supplement retirement income, kind of like an as, an, as an, primarily as an investment tool. I see this presented to people in their 20s and 30s all the time. I mean, it, almost it's almost everybody I know has a friend, has a neighbor, has an acquaintance or a relative that's become a life insurance agent. And this is their lead presentation to young people is this idea of you need the life insurance because you have a family. So we're going to get some life insurance for you. But oh, by the way, if you pay way more, we've designed this life insurance policy so you can pay way more than the premium and it builds up your cash value faster, and then you get all these magical tax benefits down the line. The funny thing is, I don't see a lot of people that actually finish that process if they sign up for those things. Usually, it
1: doesn't last. Why is that? Life insurance has a cost. That's why. There are all kinds of costs and fees like we talked about before with the barrel. Those costs have to be paid. If people don't pay their premiums, There's a real risk that that insurance strategy falls apart and blows up. Well, absolutely. Yeah. If you're not paying your premium, that makes sense. You need to have extreme discipline. If you have that young person and the insurance policy is designed to pay those premiums until you're age 65, you need to be very, very disciplined and make sure that those premium payments are made over those years. And
0: most of those plans I've seen, it's not not an insignificant premium that they're designed around. The idea is, hey, yeah, you're paying for the cost of insurance, which by the way is permanent insurance. So the insurance cost alone is already more expensive than term. And then they're designed to do this like hyper funding of the cash value, which means on top of the premium, that's already more expensive than your term insurance. They're adding an additional amount that is expected to come in Mm -hmm. every single year. Otherwise, the investment part of
1: the plan completely blows up. Yes. The, it can yeah. work. The question that you ask do the potential tax benefits outweigh the costs of the insurance policy? You got to do the math. You got to decide, you got to see if the insurance policy earns X, it's projected to grow out this far. Mm-hmm. Are my projected tax benefits going to offset that? If I'm paying $50,000 a year into a life insurance policy designed specifically to grow the cash value to take lifetime income, I have alternate uses for that cash value, that right. $50,000. If I can invest that $50,000 in a diversified portfolio and then take the income, just doing that, what kind of results might I have? Mm-hmm. And then compare that to what kind of results I would have if I put it into the life insurance policy to create tax free income based on tax brackets and based on your own personal situation. Right. So for
0: example, you're putting $50,000 in and you're in the 20% tax bracket. That cost of insurance better really save you, you know, better be less than that 10 grand or whatever you we would normally be paying in taxes on that. You also need to make sure that whatever you can afford today, you can afford tomorrow. And the next day and the next day, yes, that premium that discipline
1: is really, really important.
0: And it's not only about the discipline to pay, it's the ability to pay. We've seen people where they, 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 they sign up for these things when their income is very high and then the world changes and their bit, their income is either lower or their family lifestyle requirements, their choices that they've made have removed the ability to pay that extra or they forget why they're even doing it. Yeah and people seem to get forgetful on these things. Um, it, it, always seems to be in the first few years, three, four five, 10 years beforehand. I, I rarely see these type, types of insurance that are more than 10 years old. We run into them. Mm-hmm. We're hearing anecdotes of, well, you know, I had this friend in college and they talked, we, we, we talked and this sounded like a great idea at the time. Cause I was really doing well and I was single or whatever. And it's setting the stage for the future. And the Tax benefits were all great and good and wonderful. But now it's been six years, seven years, and I forgot. Why am I paying so much extra? It seems like it's really expensive insurance. Did I do the right thing? Why do people reach that point? Is it just because the you talk about the expenses? Are they just heavily front-loaded and they're just not seeing any results? Or what's going on there?
1: Insurance policies in general, the expenses are front-loaded. You have the cost of going through the underwriting process. You have the cost of the commissions going to the advisors and those professionals who are receiving payment. It takes about 15 years for a permanent life insurance policy to really bear any fruit as far as an, quote, investment vehicle End quote
0: so you don't really see the cash value grow until you've reached that point they've kind of designed these policies to be that very long-term yes type of thing
1: yes whenever you use life insurance to increase that cash value and have that income component that you're looking for you got to make sure that you're asked the questions ask until you understand there are so many moving parts so many different life insurance policies you need to understand what you're doing with that and you need to understand that it's a long-term commitment so you're talking minimally 15 years 15 you're talking years. much longer than
0: that in all likelihood if it's a permanent insurance policy and you're focusing on trying to derive some value from that cash value piece correct if you're if that's a piece of the pie like these they call it, you know life insurance retirement plans air quotes here um you need to understand how big of a deal that is, that it's a very long-term commitment and you you don't want to bite off more than you can chew, right? right. Because life does change. So once somebody is aware, said, okay, guys, you know, I get it. This is important. I need to look into this. I need to figure out and, and analyze my situation.
1: Where do they go? What do they do now? We got to go buy this stuff from somewhere. The number one place for most people is their employer, their employee benefits. They go to their employer. They work at a big firm. Employers generally will provide some level of life insurance as a group benefit. Some of that insurance is free and you essentially need to check a box and name a beneficiary. And you get that insurance. Sometimes it's a fifty thousand dollar life insurance. Sometimes it's one times your salary. Get it. If you have free insurance, get it. Other times, uh, with the group benefits, they give you the option to buy additional insurance, where you might be able to buy two times or three times your insurance or your uh, right your income. With this additional insurance that you can purchase, in many times, it's an annual increasing premium you need to be mindful of that sometimes it's in blocks of five years so your premium may stay level for five years and then it automatically increases for the next five years and then the next five years So you could have a situation where you think you bought it at one cost and it gets higher later on if yes. you stay with the company you so need to be mindful of that just be aware of the details there if you have extra sometimes They also, employers allow you to buy permanent insurance and they may have this thing called guaranteed issue, which could be a tremendous benefit or it could be very, very expensive. Guaranteed issue allows the, it's where the insurance company is looking at the entire population of the business. So you have a big business with a hundred different employees and the insurance company is saying, we'll insure all hundred of those people. There are only a couple questions that you need to answer, and it could be a really good deal for someone who is diabetic, has cancer, is very, very unhealthy, and would normally be uninsurable. This type of a, this can be a tremendous, invaluable benefit to you to give you an opportunity to buy insurance. However, if you are a healthy person, it could be very, very expensive. With all of this life insurance options that an employer can provide to you, it's worth exploring the retail. Go out to the retail world and actually shop it out yourself. In many cases, you could find insurance that is the same price or less if you just go out and do the shopping yourself. So if you're going to do that shopping yourself, where do you go? You can go to... uh, Professionals, you can go to a life insurance agent, life insurance brokers, and these are professionals that offer insurances. You're sitting down with the professional and talking with them, and they're working with you, and you're engaged one-on-one with this person to provide that coverage for you, and they'll usher you through the entire process. Other places you can go are online websites. There are many of these online websites that are out there. And they advertise that they're very, very convenient. You don't have to worry about talking one-on-one with somebody and getting into this personal relationship where you feel you're, quote, being sold or taking advantage of. With these online websites, it's important to know you're dealing with an 800 number, a 1-800 person. uh, Right. It's an
0: app on your phone that you filled out and someone is from a call center is following up with you to ask the follow-up questions.
1: Yeah. And this person is an employee. They're not looking at your situation. They're treating it more as a transaction rather than a strategy, a planning strategy to implement. Right. I was looking at one of these websites and I pulled up here. I want to read a quote from the website.
0: So this is an online insurance website.
1: Yes. Got it. Okay. Quote. As a company, we get paid a commission by insurance companies for policies we sell. But don't worry, these commissions are already baked into the price of all insurance policies. This means you never pay extra to use our service, end quote. The bottom line here is life insurance policies are designed with commissions built in. If you think you're going to an online service to avoid paying that commission to somebody, you're mistaken. The commission is going to be paid out. In this case, with an online website, you're paying that commission to that organization. That's how they make money. So, where like back in the day, 25 years ago, you'd
0: have load mutual funds, and then you came, there was this new advent of no load mutual funds, two different things. If you go direct, you save money. When it comes to life insurance, you go direct, you don't save money.
1: You don't. You don't. And that begs the question of whether it makes sense to go to one of these online services or to actually visit a local professional who knows their craft and who can help you and help you understand and ask those questions that you don't know to ask. But truthfully, a lot of people, when they think of that experience, they're not really...
0: They're not viewing it from that standpoint. Oh, this professional's there to help me and they're there to be the fiduciary and work with my best interest in heart. Most people have a fear factor that comes into going and visiting with anybody new because there's this feeling that they're gonna get taken for a ride. They're gonna get taken to the cleaners. They're gonna be talked into something that's wrong for them. So if you're if someone's gonna go talk to a professional, about anything really. But if they're going to talk to a professional about their, their life insurance, is there a way that we can paint a picture of what a good professional would feel like and what, it, what the experience would be working with somebody who's really good versus somebody who you probably wouldn't want to just not, you know, cancel the appointment and not go. Mm-hmm. So is there a way to differentiate between these? Cause Honestly, you look online and do a Google search for a life insurance professional or a life insurance licensed individual. You kind of get a huge list of people. There's CPAs that have a life insurance license on the side for doing term insurance. You've got um, financial planners that do this. That it's it's where they're they're legitimate fiduciaries and they have to do a more of a planning approach. And then you've got people that also sell home and auto and life, and they sell all kinds of insurance. At some point, you got to choose between one of those. And maybe there's a way to narrow it down from narrow down the Google search, but at some point, you're still going to go talk to a human being. How can somebody quickly identify
1: kind of best experience versus worst experience? A good experience, you want to work with somebody who is going to diagnose your situation and then prescribe a solution that meets your unique goals and what you're trying to accomplish. You want to talk to somebody who listens. If they're paying attention, they're asking questions, they're trying to find out who you are and understand your goals. They're methodical. You're talking to somebody who is crunching numbers in their head, looking through and trying to identify the best solution for your specific needs. And they're also there to educate you and help you ask the questions. When you may approach someone, you may not know what questions to ask. You're sitting down with a professional and they're helping, they're asking you, they're saying, hey, these are some questions you might want to be thinking of. These are questions to ask. Let me help educate you on what these different products are, on how this product can fit your needs versus this other product. Let me show you some different solutions and some different options, show you the pros and cons. Well, I can imagine
0: imagine somebody sitting and going through that process. You're sitting down with that professional and they're asking all of a sudden, they're asking all these questions about other things that seem unrelated to insurance, but all areas of financial planning intersect and cross over with all other areas of financial planning. In my mind, I'm thinking people need to just recognize... A good professional is probably going to ask about more than just the insurance you need. You know, how much insurance do you think you need? It's going to be an involved conversation if they're good at what they do. If they're good at the diagnosis part, they're going to need to know more. Just like a good doctor is going to need to do an MRI and a blood test to really find out what's going on in your body. They can't just look you over and ask you questions and then prescribe a solution it's no different with a financial professional. They're gonna ask questions if they're doing their job correctly
1: as a fiduciary. These people, they don't wanna have a transaction. A transaction is where you come in and you say, I want a million dollars of life insurance. And the professional isn't, take; they're not an order taker or you hope they're not an order taker. They want to make sure they understand your situation so whatever you think you need they'll be able to agree with you or have some sort of feedback on what you think
0: what about a situation that maybe is suboptimal where somebody is you know we all have our instincts mm-hmm. where you can go eh, this doesn't seem quite right but what are some what are some telltale signs there
1: if they're quick and they talk to you and it's a very fast conversation very few questions. They have that stack of marketing material behind their desk and they just go to that pile and pull off that top brochure off of the pile and they hand it to you. And you have this kind of canned presentation feeling where every they're selling a, a hammer and everything looks like a nail to them. Yeah, I'm, I'm imagining a picture in my head where,
0: um, They're asking cursory questions and they're saying, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, coincidentally, and they reach behind them and it's the same exact thing they've shown 100 people. And it actually can't, they can't specify exactly and precisely how that matches your specific need.
1: That's a telltale sign. If they're overcoming objections, if the conversation is just overcoming objection after objection, So when you talk about overcoming objections, you're
0: talking about 1960s and 70s and 80s sales style of they're trying to persuade you to buy their thing. They're not explaining how their thing is custom fit to your specific needs. That's what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Okay. A simplistic way of looking at things. And I'm no matter what your problem is and no matter what your goal is, Mr. Client, This thing that I got right back here is the solution for your... And to be fair, some people do have a very simple, simple solution. Hey,
0: I just got married. My spouse uh, brings two bonus children into the equation. I want to take care of those bonus children for their education. Their education is going to be $100,000 each and I need to cover that. That's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. If you come in with something that specific and simple, guess what? It's not going to be some deep dive comprehensive financial plan which you should do anyway, but it's not going to be that. It's going to be, oh, for that unique need, it's probably going to be term insurance for this amount of time. How old are the kids? And you do the math out until whenever you think their education is going to be done. It can be a simple thing if you have it that dialed in. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, though, there's a, if, it's, if it's I want to take care of the whole suite of needs I might have, somebody's going to ask a little more detailed questions, and they're not going to just be pushing running numbers, trying to hurry you up so they can get out the door with the ink on the piece of paper.
1: Hopefully, that gives some perspective as far as a good experience and a not so good experience as you're interviewing some of these folks. There are fantastic professionals out there that do stand up jobs, and th- there are great people out there. And unfortunately, there are some not great people. Law of large numbers. I think you get enough people
0: doing anything, you're going to have good ones and bad ones. There's a bell curve in humanity.
1: Yeah. Let's look at the situation we talked about quite a bit. Let's try to summarize some of these things. You need to know yourself. We've talked about this in podcasts all the past. You need to understand your own situation. And in understanding your situation, you can better identify what your goals are and what your needs are to help you get to whatever that number is as far as how much life insurance you need life insurance and the risk of an early death is a big rock it is a big impact event and you need to focus on it and you need to address it and then move on it's something to deal with you got to live within your means when you're able to live within your means you have that extra cash flow available to pay for an insurance solution that will take care of your family and, and do what you want to accomplish. We've talked in the very beginning about those two stories of those two families. The reality is here, you can do some planning and you can think about it. If you're proactive, you can actually make decisions today that can impact your family in the future. and having a discussion, dealing with this life insurance need, and thinking about that, you're able to address the financial impact of a premature death. Boom, like that. You you get the insurance in place and you can move on. Living within your means is going to give you that ability to pay for whatever that insurance need is. Ask until you understand Especially with those permanent life insurance policies, you got to know what you're buying. You got to know why you're buying it. And over time, you've got to look at it every year, every couple years, and re-educate yourself as to why am I doing this? What is the strategy? If I'm putting in these premiums and I'm building up this cash value for a reason, why am I doing it? Why do I have this much life insurance? And if you're married... Both of you need to know all that stuff in too
0: many households that we see one person's in charge of all this stuff and the other person doesn't have a clue. That's when mistakes get made is when somebody gets either. We've seen it sometimes when somebody who's been in charge all the time, they, they fall into dementia, they get disabled and they're no longer in charge of this and they never communicated about what it is or why they did it. And if you're, if you're, if you had a stroke or if you're, Uh, cognitive ability is diminished and you have this wonderful long-term plan in place that's going to be amazing for your family to achieve all those goals, but you can't remember, doesn't change the situation. Your spouse needs to know what it was, why you did it, and how important and critical it is. If it's not written down, everything can blow up. The best estate plan in the world can be completely unraveled by the beneficiaries who don't understand what, what the intent and why the tools are there you got to understand what you're doing and why if you have a business you have a buy sell plan you got that insurance place the other members of the business need to know what's going on and why for all the same reasons cuz it is a cost and they'll look at it and go why are we paying this and then they blow up somebody's entire estate plan you can't do it that you got to communicate it can't just be one person
1: ask who not how why reinvent the wheel a professional is out there and may be able to get the job done for you. Sometimes at the who is going online to these online calculators and going through that exercise together as a family. And you're, you're not reinventing mm-hmm. the wheel and you're not sitting down with a yellow pad trying to figure things out. There are a lot of quality calculators out there that you can do a lot of this stuff yourself. And those can be a good 80% solution right out of the gate. Ask who, not how.
0: So, Dan, my big takeaways: if I'm listening to this for the first time, if, if I'm taking notes. We've talked. You talked about an awful lot today. You're really, really smart on these things. You've been doing this for years and years and years. Way more. You've done way more insurance than I have in in your career, and you have a greater understanding of these these products. I have a, a million more questions potentially. As we even if we go through case by case with with live clients in our practice, I always have lots of questions to understand what what it is we're doing because you're just so much more advanced than, than most of us. If, if I'm somebody, if I'm a, if I'm a new advisor uh, listening to this, if I'm a uh, potential person that needs insurance, what are some of the key things that I need to take away from this conversation? If you were to say, okay, I've talked for an hour and, and an hour and five minutes or whatever, what are, what are the big things I need to focus on from
1: this point forward? If I have a family, I got to have this conversation and I got to take action and address this issue. It's important. Oftentimes, people underestimate the amount of insurance that they do need. Do the math. Figure that out.
0: And from what you were saying earlier, it only gets more expensive when you wait. So start now. Start the process now and don't hesitate because... Your next birthday's around the corner. Yeah. Well, Dan, thanks for taking the time to impart some of your knowledge on us on this on this issue. Um, we've seen the good and the bad happen, and um, you know the reason we do this podcast is so that more people get access to that information, and that we can hopefully benefit families. And it, of all the things that planners and fiduciaries get involved with, this is probably one of the bigger impact things. It means way more to have this risk covered than to get the right mutual fund versus an ETF versus an index fund versus the right stock portfolio. The difference in your family's life is greater. If this thing, if this premature death thing happens, there's nothing from the investment side of things that is as effective at solving a family's problems in the midst of grief. In terms of financial problems anyway there's nothing as effective as life insurance and it's not sexy but boy, does it have teeth so thank you for taking the time with that um, everyone else thank you for listening we sincerely appreciate all your attention if you uh, like the podcast please subscribe please share it with your friends and family if you think somebody needs to hear these messages or this specifically this message and If you'd like to reach out to us and ask more detailed questions about your particular situation, we're available on social media. You can reach us at Fierce Fiduciary. I'm at Brian C. Beasley on most social media, easy to find. Dan Albert is on social media as well. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook in our group that we manage called Investing and Financial Planning for Beginners. And uh, also, we do this for a living. If you feel Uh, so moved. You can reach out to us and explore if uh, that's something you want to explore working with us on an individual basis. We still do this for a living with our partner, Tom Stesich at Athena Private Wealth. So thanks again for listening.
1: And until next time, cue the tiger.